Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters inside the KFUO studios here in St. Louis, where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ Jesus, formed by his word, that as we speak about Jesus before the world, that we would make good confession, because we do speak about Jesus, and we can make either bad confession or good confession. We desire good confession, and for that, we turn to the Lutheran confessions, which have stood the test of time to be found found to be faithful, and that they would form and shape us all Lutheran congregations, all Lutheran pastors promise to uh, make their confession in alignment with these Lutheran confessions as the clear teaching of Scripture. And so in the next hour, we'll be taking a look at the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5 in the Reader's Edition, Love and Fulfilling of the Law, uh, an expanse on Article 4. And we also have uh, uh, wonderful guests here in the studio. I am Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of St. Paul's Wine Hill, Illinois, as well as Emmanuel West Point, Illinois. And I have in studio here with me Pastor Peter Ill, pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois, and Mr. Peter Slayton, who is the social media guru uh, for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, doing a fast, fantastic job, both of you. Uh, great to have you guys uh, uh, here with us, as always. Fantastic to be here. Hey, hey, good to be here. All right. And we also have joining us by phone from Evansville, Indiana, Pastor David Weist, who is pastor of Concordia there in Evansville. Pastor Weist, great to have you join us on the show. Good to be with you. Thank you. All right. So let's go ahead and dig in here. Uh, any intro from any of the gentlemen, or should we just dig in? Oh, we've got some good stuff coming up today. I'm excited. Yeah, let's, yeah, <laughs> let, let's do it. All right. We are in the, as I said, the reader's edition of the Concordia, the Lutheran <laughs> Confessions. And we are in that edition, Article 5, Love and Fulfilling of the Law, an expanse of Article 4, that doctrine of justification. We are picking up with line 24, but I'm going to back up to line 23 just so that we get the context of what uh, is being talked about here. So beginning with line 23, Paul is writing about faith that receives forgiveness of sins and a terrified heart and flees from sins. Such faith does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it dwell with mortal sin. From these effects of faith, the adversaries select one, namely love, and teach that love justifies. It is clear that they only teach the law. They do not teach that forgiveness of sins is first received through faith, though they do not teach about Christ as mediator, that we have a gracious God for Christ's sake, but for the sake of our love. Yet they do not say what the nature of this love is, neither can they say. They proclaim that they fulfill the law, although this glory belongs to Christ alone. They set up confidence in their own works against God's judgment. For they say that they merit, according to righteousness, grace and eternal life. This confidence is absolutely ungodly and useless. 
For in this life we cannot satisfy the law, because the sinful nature does not stop bringing forth evil inclination and desire, even though the Spirit in us resists them. Go ahead and pause there for a minute. As I was reading through this in preparation uh, for today, I was I was having echoes in my mind of um, Reverend Dr. Norman Nagel, uh, former professor at Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis, now uh, emeritus. And he used to say he noticed that uh, a lot of love talk is really a lot of law talk. Mm-hmm. Do you guys get that sense here? What, what, what do you think is going on here? I think that certainly with uh, the opponents of the... Augsburg Confession and its apology, they are really struggling with just this thing, where they pick up one of those reactions to faith. I was thinking earlier today, too, about uh, how in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about how important it is for those who uh, love him and keep his commandments. Those who remain in him uh, will bear fruit, and that fruitfulness is born forth in love, and that's exactly what happens. And as that fruitfulness is born forth in love, as we get to be conduits of the love of, uh, love of God, the opponents say, oh, see, you Christians, you need to love people. And so as you love people, you need to go ahead and do this and do that and do the other thing. And that is how they will know that you're Christians. Uh, kind of reminds me of, of the song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And there's a certain amount of truth for that, but there's also a certain amount of truth of you aren't a Christian because of your love. You're a Christian because of the faith that has been delivered to you through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly where we come down on this, is we say, it's not love that makes us a Christian. Rather, it is faith in Jesus Christ. And so we don't simply take love and replace faith with love. Who we love because we are Christians. Exactly. It's, it's like you said, it's that response. Uh, what what struck me in this is that love is a very easy thing to pick out. It sounds so nice and pious, and it can be very difficult to speak against love, if you will. So uh, with the adversaries in, in selecting this one love as, as the thing, it, it is difficult because we see this, like you were saying, Pastor Ill, the same accusation against us today about needing to be more loving. But um, the difficulty is nobody ever really defines love. You know, what, what is love? I'm, uh, <clears throat> I get in Facebook discussions on occasion. Um, <laughs> That's what happens when you're the social media guru. <laughs> a little bit here and there. And, and one of them is a, a friend I grew up with. And <clears throat> he's now become a very liberal, uh, progressive Christian and um, he's he's in a discussion and, and it's about love and I just asked the simple simple question who defines what love is uh, because I wasn't sure you know just trying to get at the root of what is this discussion going on because he's he's doing the standard line of we need to be loving Christians aren't loving enough you know we're we're known as haters and bigots and all those standard things that you hear uh, speaking out against Christians and so I just asked a simple question well who who defines what love is and he wrote a paragraph and in that paragraph there were like six or seven different groups individuals philosophies that all defined what love is and i haven't responded back yet but as i'm sitting here thinking about this i'm like you just gave me like seven contradictory definitions of love i i still don't know what love is how they don't all match up together so you can imagine the adversaries here doing the same kind of thing well what is this love? 
Yeah, and it, it seemed to me, too, that they're picking out, they're, they're kind of doing a proof texting, right? Yeah. Uh, that I, I actually went back and looked at the confutation, and uh, there they, in the confutation, that's that document between the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, uh, that first presentation, and then we're talking about the apology of the Augsburg Confession here, the response to the Catholics' response, which was the confutation. And in that confutation, they actually call the Lutherans Manichaeans because they stress the idea of reward or merit. And that's what he's picking up on here. It's, um, you know, that they pick out, they single out one thing, love. So if we're to define that love as we're talking about it, um, Pastor Weiss, what would you say, how how are the Catholics maybe defining it, and, and how are we defining it as Lutherans? Because first of all, what I noticed, Right away in line 24, um, right away the apology starts to define love for us. It says, from these effects of faith, um, right away in that first phrase, we, we start to see what our definition, um, what the scriptural definition is of love. It's an effect of faith, and it should not um, become an object of faith, um, which is sort of what uh, the Roman Catholics were doing, I think. Okay, great. And uh, also, I, I noticed, too, there in the ca- uh, confutation, as I took a look at it, um, that they, they really centered around a few verses, um, as they were calling us Manichaeans, which is a, a philosophy. Actually, St. Augustine was a Manichaean for about eight, nine years, something yeah, like that. can you define that for me? I've he was heard confirmed. it before, but it's one of those where it's like, <laughs> so, I can never remember what that one actually is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, in a, it's an old religion that breaks down everything as either good or evil. It doesn't hold things in tension. It's a very uh, black and white kind, kind of, of thing. Platonic philosophy sort of thing, dualism. A little bit, yeah. They're influenced by it, maybe? It's a little bit more, though, and the Manichaeans most uh, most directly separated the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so they talk about the Old Testament God being full of wrath and vengeance, and the New Testament God being full of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And Almost as if it's two different gods. Exactly. Like, it's almost two different gods. Yeah. Yeah, and they... they, uh, they they have this real drive towards salvation by knowledge, um, which it's kind of strange to me that in the confutation, the Catholics are calling the Lutherans Manichaeans, <laughs> um, when we would probably make that accusation at them. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, th- there's there's no doubt that uh, we Lutherans are, are very heady people. We tend to be in our heads a lot. We love our, our good doctrine. Uh, but as you already pointed out, Mr. Slayton, that uh, it really... I mean, these conversations are still going on today. I had one just last night around these very sorts of issues, right? But uh, they, they, they're they very much stressing, uh, and especially I, I picked out that they, they stress 2 Corinthians 5.10 about the final judgment being based on your actions in this life, that there would be some sort of uh, reward or merit uh, for this this loving work that we are clearly called to do in Scripture. So so there is this tension that you were talking about, Pat. Do they bring up the sheep and the goats, too, Matthew 25? They do not bring up that one, oh, no. Interesting. Um, but okay. I, I do have it here. Um, I, I, I underline this one uh, section here. It says, For if anyone should intend to disprove of the merits that men acquire by assistance of d- divine grace, he would agree with the Manichaeans rather than with the Catholic, that being the universal Christian church. For it is entirely contrary to Holy Scripture to deny that our works are meritorious. For St. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And then also in Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to what he hath done. And they have a few others in that, but they, 
I mean, they're, they're clearly pointing to these sort of loving works that we're called to do. Um, and, and, and they're saying that there's, there's merit to this. There's a logical fallacy that they're making there. And they're talking about these these works, these effects of faith, like Pastor Wiest pointed out for us a few minutes ago, that as we see these effects of faith, these works, they claim not only are they good, not only are they commanded by God, both of which we would agree with, but then they say they are meritorious, and they bring you merit. And in paragraph 25, it talks about, for they say, and here the apology begins to uh, paraphrase back these words from the confutation, uh, for they say that they merit according to righteousness, grace, and eternal life. And if you're following along at home, you'll see a little bit of Latin squirreled in there. At de candino, or, or condign merit, of how it is that these works uh, store up for you your own kind of treasure in heaven, not the treasure in heaven of Jesus Christ, but the treasure in heaven of what you have done, your investment of works, if you will. And that's a problem. Is this that treasury of merit idea that we hear about on occasion, or is it something to, else? To a point, yes. Um, I don't want to say it's fully the treasury of merit, because in other places it will talk about the saints having done enough works that there's a they have a surplus. They've got extra. Um, yeah. They've got extra, and they can pass those out. Here you're building your own account. Ah, okay. Um, Pastor Weiss, any uh, notes on the rewards or merit that Scripture speaks of and that the Catholics are pointing us to? I don't know that I do. I do have a question I'm, uh, maybe you can help me with. Um, when the Apology says, yet they do not say what the nature of love is, neither can they say, that. that's a pretty strong statement. Why can't they say what the nature of love is? Why can't they make the case for, for what the nature of love is? What, what's the Apology getting at there, do you guys think? I'm wondering if that's going to come up in the next few paragraphs when it starts talking about forgiveness. Yes, it is. I, I think I think for me this is flowing forth from the the previous arguments that go back really all the way to 2021 about uh, well uh, here in, in 21 um, uh, Melanchthon has made the point. I mean that faith is conceived in the terrors of conscience, which feels God's wrath against our sins and seeks forgiveness of sins, seeks to be freed from sin. In such terrors and other troubles, this faith ought to grow and be strengthened. I think he's referencing this tension uh, again that. Ultimately, there's not much that we can do um, to to be assured of God's love for us as long as the law is always accusing. And that's what the law does, right? It, I, I constantly, I, I, you know, I was pointing um, earlier to a conversation I had just recently on this, um, and uh, it, it came up in there that the, the person was saying, you know, we have to we have to turn our heart towards Jesus and and accept Him and live a Christian life, truly live as Christians. And I said, my, my problem is I'm going to walk out that door in two seconds and I'm going to sin first and foremost probably by saying, oh, man, this guy just does not get it and like slandering my brother, <laughs> right? And so I mean, I, probably in that second it didn't even take walking out the door, you know. Uh, or like so say you're going to walk out the door and go to a cards game. I mean, that's just... <laughs> I am going to go to a Cardinals game. worse than that. Yeah, and they're going <laughs> to... 
I mean, they beat the Cubs here recently. Um, but uh, coming back to we'll get the back. confessions, let's not get sidetracked here. You know, I'm I, easily well, sidetracked. No, but, but, but this wrath does condemn us, and it weighs heavy upon us. And all I see is my sin, and I need peace with God some way. And so my response to the person that I spoke to recently was, I said, I'd rather just confess my sin to Christ and be forgiven of it. That's real love to me. I think that's what Melanchthon's pointing to. I'm going to jump really far ahead just real quick. Sure. One line, right at line 37. The law does not justify as long as it can accuse us. I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. As long as there's any inkling of accusation in the law that you're hearing, can't be justified by it. And that plays into the question that I was hoping to ask, which is this love that the opponents are talking about. Is that law or gospel? And when we hear about the the love that is commanded by the opponents, this love that shows our faith, this love that shows that we're Christians and so on, that the opponents are talking about, that is a law-based love. However, when we talk about God's actions for us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was born of Mary the Virgin, and he suffered and he died and he rose and he delivers to us forgiveness and life and salvation, and we have his love there, that love is gospel. So when we talk about it, Jesus giving love to us, it's gospel. When we talk about what we do for other people, as wonderful as it is, that is a law statement. And we just need to own that and say, right, when we say love one another, that's law. Okay, it's and good it's law. Good. It's an excellent yep. thing. Um, we are empowered and strengthened by Christ to do it. Uh, it is an effective faith. Fantastic. However, it's still law. And there's no getting around that. Yeah, I think, obviously, as... Uh uh, those who listen to the show regularly know I'm a huge fan of CFW Walther and his great work, <laughs> Law Gospel. So I, I want to hang on this Law Gospel He's carved distinction. your initials over on the statue yeah, right the behind Yeah, the statue us, that's right, right behind yeah. me. I'm just going to steal that from, and then I'll <laughs> confess my sin later. Um, but no, uh, I think the Law Gospel is the, 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 the real hinge for understanding what's going on here. And, and I think behind this is this security, assurance of salvation. And uh, Pastor Weiss, I'm going to throw this to you. Uh, You know, still today we wrestle with in American evangelicalism, this Calvinist notion of eternal security. And and I think that's what he's getting at here with, you know, they, they can't really say what love is. And I think that manifests itself in Calvinism and American evangelical theology as well. How, how do we have that eternal security and where does the law play in as far as security goes? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I know what you asked me that question. We've been in, in the middle of, of that exact conversation, haven't we? The, the, well, I mean, one of the next things in that little section that we've read so far, um, the, the response the apology gives to this whole idea of of, um, of the opponent's idea of love is, is that um, well, what the apology calls it is useless, right? What, what was the phrase? Um, Ungodly and useless. It's absolutely yeah, ungodly. ungodly and oh, useless. Un- ungodly and useless. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Um, you know, if we're going to understand the nature of love, um, which they don't, um, we're going to talk about Christ crucified, and and there we find confidence. If if we're going to talk about um, the effects of faith, um, we're not going to find we're not going to find any confidence in regards to our salvation, our relationship with God in the effects of faith. It's in the object of our faith that, that we find confidence, in Christ that we find confidence. I've, I've got a question here. In, 
with with the idea that there is nothing new under the sun. Uh, and this idea that the adversaries have here that love justifies, I'm willing to bet that we probably see this heresy, false doctrine, whatever it is. We, we see it today, and I think we've danced around it a little bit here, but I'd be interested to hear from you pastors, where do we see this idea today? Does it come packaged in different language? Uh, are different words used to communicate the same thing? Where do we see this happening around us today so people can be aware when they hear it, oh, that's what they're talking about. That's bad. I need to avoid that. If I could jump in on that. Yeah, um, I was actually going to toss it to you first. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Um, here at Concordia, we are um, we're just getting ready to start Ephesians chapter 5 in our Sunday Bible class. And um, one of the things that I've been preparing them for, I shouldn't say that Paul's been preparing them for, is, is four chapters, almost completely, especially the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, almost talking about nothing other than what God has, has done for them. And and um, what, what I've been saying to them all along is, is our foundation, um, it, before we can talk, um, and, and really rightly understand Ephesians 5 and following, where it talks about our vocations, where, what God indeed has called us to do, our, our works, if you will, um, we have to understand very clearly our foundation. Um, and, and the first, the first uh, definitely three, four chapters of Ephesians, even Ephesians um, chapter 5 kind of, kind of points to baptism. Um, it, it points us to what God has done for us in Christ and, and how we receive that in the waters of baptism. And, and one of the cautions I've given my congregation is um, it's dangerous for us to even begin to consider the purpose and value of, of good works until we understand that, strange as it sounds, our foundation is in water. Um, and, yeah, that's not a place where we can stand, um, but um, it's the place where, where we're drowned, where we're washed, where we're lifted up into a new life in Christ, and where we're given the name of, of the triune God. And, and that's the foundation of our theology. And if if we start there, if we understand that, then we can look, for example, at Ephesians 5, 1, that says, be imitators of God, and, and we're not thrown into despair, because it says, more fully, be imitators of God as beloved children. It goes right back to our adoption and baptism. Um, that foundation is, is, is essential. Otherwise, how, can, how in the world can we look at, at an imperative, be imitators of God, without without immediately going into despair or hopelessness. I, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, and I was going to go somewhere very similar in that um, where I see it. I, I, I remember um, in a former ministry that I had, um, folks in the congregation were very involved in this ecumenical group um, that uh, would meet and try to talk about uh, Christian sexual purity with teens and so forth. And and some of the folks in my congregation there were, were kind of frustrated that I wouldn't participate in that. And I said, well, the, the struggle for me is that they're pointing to the wrong things. You know, I'm going to want to get up there and point to baptism. And as, as we drown our sinful, selfish desires in those waters daily by contrition and repentance, that we arise to live this baptized life uh, in righteousness and purity before God. And, and, and the, the, the rest of the members of that group are all pointing to the works. And I, and I thought, you know, have we really not made any progress since the Reformation? I mean, really, like they were kind of beating the children over the head. And the irony is, is that it wasn't really working, as you noticed among some of the youth coming out of this program that happened on year after year after year. And, uh, you know, 
the to me it reflects what we see in line 25 there this this catholic um or what they're they're saying against the Catholic teaching of these things. They set up confidence in their own works against God's judgment. If if I have any sort of confidence in my um, ability to fight against those temptations, to to improve my life of my own worth, um, and that that has any reward or merit, whether in this life or in the life to come, then I'm really setting myself up as quite proud. And it's a humble heart that receives the grace of Christ. And so that's where I see it. I think we'll move on into the uh, um, uh, uh, moving on to uh, paragraph 26 here. We need to take a break. So come on back after the break and uh, we'll we'll push on forward. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash jobsboard. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Last week's Insight Wednesday Law and Gospel was on a analogy of cooking. We are going to continue that with the next broadcast of Law and Gospel, but we are going to use another analogy that came up in a Bible class I was teaching that is just as good as the cooking one. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Sarcoma. Odds are you've never heard that word before. For the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word because sarcoma is cancer. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is bringing hope to the families whose lives have been turned upside down by a cancer they had never heard of until diagnosis. Please join us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, go to curesarcoma.org. The world's oldest known Jewish prayer book with only 50 pages is small enough to hold in your hand. When the discovery was announced in 2013 by Steve Green, chairman of the board for the soon-to-open Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., he said, this artifact may very well be the earliest connection today's practicing Jews have to the roots of their rabbinic liturgy. With textual topics as diverse as apocalyptic writings and the Passover Haggadah, including benedictions and daily prayers that may have been recited by observant Jews. Dr. Jerry Pattengale, Executive Director of Education for Museum of the Bible, described the prayer book as what most of the Jewish community would be in touch with on a daily basis, creating a connection between the Bible and their daily worship. 
Engage with the Bible in its impact over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. And welcome back to the studios inside KFUO at in St. Louis. That was a weird <laughs> coming back at, in. At the International we're Center. At, at the Internet. Yes. We're in St. Louis. We're, we're, we're at St. Louis. We're all around. Yes. We're, we're worldwide, actually. Because we it is worldwide KFUO. KFUO. There we go. And uh, yeah, saved it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, in case you are listening somewhere in this world, maybe even the universe, I don't know, um, and you would like to call <laughs> in. I on Facebook yeah. about that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and you would like to call in and comment or ask a question of these fine theologians that are on the show with me today, which are Pastor Peter Ill. Uh, of Trinity Milstadt, Mr. Peter Slayton of LCMS Media, and Pastor David Weiss from Concordia in Evansville, Indiana. You can call in to the show uh, if you're in the St. Louis area, area code 314-821-0850, or you can call toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Again, toll-free 1-800-730-2727. And we are continuing on in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and taking a look at Article 5, a continuation of Article 4, that article on justification, who Christ is, what he's done for us. And then Article 5 takes a look at love and fulfilling the law. How does that uh, produce fruit in us in one sense uh, to uh, to, uh, hear God's word and obey it and keep it? And we've been uh, reading through uh, paragraphs 24 and 25. We took that in a big chunk. And let's push on forward then to paragraph 26. But someone may say, since we also confess that love is a work of the Holy Spirit, and since it is righteousness because because it is the fulfilling of the law, why do we not teach that love justifies? To this, we must reply in the first place, it is certain that we do not receive forgiveness of sins through our love or for the sake of our love, but for Christ's sake, by faith alone. And I'm going to pause there. Uh, Read one more sentence and then pause. Read one more sentence and then pause. Okay, you'll get your one more sentence. Faith alone looks upon the promise. Ooh, yeah. All right, that is good. Um, Yeah, as as I was... Uh, reading that, I I'm, I find myself reflecting, you know, and Pastor Ill and I were sitting in seminary classes together. I remember uh, uh, the professor, I don't even remember who was teaching at the time uh, this particular idea. But anyway, uh, he was talking about the inner motions of sanctification, you know, kind of that, that inner work that goes on behind uh, what the Holy Spirit's doing in us to fulfill the law, to keep the law. Um, I, I'm getting funny looks from Pastor Peter Ill here. Maybe Maybe he was. I'm deep in the recesses yes. of my memory. Yeah. That's I, all. You know, I was realizing <laughs> it, it has there. been 11 years since college for me, and so that means it's seven been seven years since yeah, seminary. Since yeah. seminary for us, we're getting oh, old quickly. Yeah, but uh, so so if we can go back there, but maybe Pastor Weist, who's been a more seasoned pastor than us, maybe he can talk about these these inner motions. What's what's Melanchthon making the point here about the the connection of the Holy Spirit and the fulfilling of the law? Well, it. it it starts out, it sounds pretty good. The idea is, is love is a work of the Holy Spirit, and I like that. Um, again, it's an effect of faith, and faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And 
and love. You know, scriptures point to the fulfillment of the law being love. Um, but then the question is the problem: how can how can you say love does not justify? Um, and I'm 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 not up to date on all of my logical fallacies, but but they they've taken two things that may be right and 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 tried to add them together, and 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 it, it doesn't equal the question they ask. Um, love love is is certainly a um, a, a fruit of of uh, of the Holy Spirit and and um, a result of faith. Um, and the scriptures do talk about fulfillment of the law, um, but scriptures don't talk about um, our love as some sort of um, way of meriting um, justification or, or favor from God. Um, so they they're just wrong there. Yeah, does it seem like they're asking the question? You know, what what's the purpose of doing these loving acts then? Uh, That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good point, and I I do hear that a lot. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, you, you know, you, you, you share the gospel with people and expect great enthusiasm, and they say, well, then what am I supposed to do? Like, you've let them down by telling them Christ has done everything. <laughs> it's always a little disappointing <laughs> when you when you hear that, isn't it? I was checking Facebook during the break here, and that very thing popped up in one of the discussions where a woman is talking with a friend of hers, and she shared the gospel with her, and and he went through that whole thing. And the woman's response is, "Well, what's to prevent me from being an antinomian then? Like that just it just happened." And define antinomian uh, in case someone says just the, the the law doesn't matter. There is no law. Right. There, I don't have to do anything. It's I can do I can literally do whatever I want, even if it's sinful, because it's no longer it no longer applies to me in that sense. Pastor Weist's comments really lead me to two scripture passages that I think are really helpful here. The first is from Galatians 5, where it says that the fruit of the Spirit uh, includes love, joy, peace, and so on. And as it talks about love, we most certainly do say that love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and comes from the Holy Spirit. And we sign off on that. But we also then hear uh, in Acts chapter 2, as Peter finishes his sermon to the believers at Pentecost, they are cut to the heart and they say, then what shall we do in order to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And it's hard not to hear those words and feel, well, just a little bit underwhelmed. Wait, you mean I don't have to go out and make a big decision or go out there and somehow dedicate my life to Jesus or conquer the world for Jesus? And the answer is Jesus has already conquered the world. He has already conquered sin. He has already conquered death. There's nothing left to do other than to believe and to receive the gifts that Christ freely gives. And so that's exactly what we do as we receive these gospel promises. And so it's not that our love is something that we do. Love doesn't justify. Uh, anything that justifies is a work of the gospel. But we talked before, love that a human shows to other people isn't gospel, it's law. Human love doesn't justify. It is the love of God in Christ Jesus that justifies. But my love for anybody else doesn't justify me. It is God's love that justifies me. And so that is where we hang our hat. And uh, this is why I wanted Pastor Smith to read that next that last sentence there because i think it, in answering the question well why don't we say that love justifies well because there's no promise attached to my love it's as simple as that the, the the last sentence here faith alone looks upon the promise what promise christ's promise 
that promise right. in Jesus and the work that he has done. That's where there's a promise attached. There's no promise attached to my love that if I love rightly, fully, effectively, in the right ways, whatever it is, there's no promise attached to that that says, ah, this will save you. That's really, really good. Yeah. You know, the, taking just a step backwards, um, we, we, did, we didn't quite cover this before the break, but um, again, it, it said that this idea that this confidence that we can attain righteousness or fulfill the law by loving, um, it said it was, it was use, use ungodly and useless, and it's ungodly because that glory of fulfilling the law belongs to Christ, the apology says, and it's useless because the sinful nature in us, even though we have the Holy Spirit, doesn't stop bringing forth evil inclinations and desires. I um, mean, we never quite covered that part of it. Um, you, you add that to what you said about where the promise is attached, and, and it's, it's so beautifully clear. Yeah, the, the promise of Christ is what everything hinges on around here. I mean, I mean, that's why we've made the point several times that we talk about Article 4, of which this is an expanse of, being the article upon which the church stands or falls, because it's what Christ is all about. And and I and I kind of pause there, I guess, because I, you stole my thunders. I, I was, I'm I was sorry. I was going to keep it, hold on to it, <laughs> and then move to this next question that, that I often hear uh, from well-meaning lay people, I believe, right, as a, as a pastor. You know, well, pastor, what does it matter? You know, kind of what's the workings behind it here? Why why do these things matter? And that's why I talk about the inner motions. You know, just that just that language. I think to most lay people, I, I brought up that we heard it in seminary, but I think that language to most lay people, their brains just kind of shut off. Like it doesn't matter to me what the inner motions are. But I think that there's huge huge effect here. Uh, anybody want to comment on wh- what's the what's the real uh, reason that this does matter for the layperson um, that this promise is is attached here. Silence. Well, <laughs> Pastor Smith, um, I don't I don't want to get too far ahead, but but um, I don't even remember what line it is. But it, but later on, um, the apology is going to say we are disputing about a great subject, and it gives two reasons why this is a great subject, and we. As hearers, we shouldn't grow weary. As preachers, we shouldn't stop preaching it. And the one, is, the one thing, um, the first thing is we're talking about Christ's honor. Um, and the second thing is, and you brought this up before, um, this is where we may seek a sure and firm consolation. Um, so that's, it, it's kind of ahead of us, but, but those are the, the two things that um, the apology gives um, I, it seems like it's an encouragement that, that we wouldn't grow weary and that we would we would continue to, even if it means disputing, we would hold this up. This is this is a great and worthy subject for us. I think I think this matters because it points me outside myself. If I'm if I'm concerned about the the inner workings, the inner experience, whether it's uh, an, an emotional thing that the emotional experience I'm I'm chasing or my my own works or anything like that, it's I'm focusing on myself uh, in one way or another, and then confusing that for the Holy Spirit working. Um, and what what's at stake here is pointing outside of ourselves and making sure that we are locating the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ and what He has done, as opposed to you know this this emotion that I feel being the Holy Spirit moving in me or something like that. 
Right. And I think you make a great point there. And I, I want to point out that when I use the inner motions of sanctification, we're not necessarily talking about that emotional response as much as like, what's as the spirit person, doing? When I hear, that's what I'm going to think. Exactly. Though, so, I yeah. know. Right. I, right. <laughs> so it's a great point to clarify here, but it's really kind of like, what's the spirit working behind the scenes kind of thing? Like, how does that all work out in a systematic kind of yeah. way and so forth? But, uh, but at stake here is this great doctrine of Christ's objective work, making known to us actual love that I have great security in. Because for myself, um, I, I find myself despairing if I'm trying to look to my words. I mean, I can just exhaust myself to try and do good works. And then other times I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm quite lazy. You know, I'm, I'm quite selfish here. I'm kind of turned in on myself. And so I despair on either way. I, either I'm not doing enough or I, I, or I'm not doing enough, actually, <laughs> to the other way either. I'm not even trying, you know, kind of idea. And that, uh, you know, then I still feel the wrath of God and I have no security of my salvation if it's dependent upon, you know, this love manifesting itself in me by keeping the law, by by doing what God commands of me. Pastor uh, Pastor Weist did a great job before of talking about the love of God that's expressed in Ephesians chapter 5. And that's a wonderful text to preach at, say, a wedding uh, but a lot of times couples will come in and they'll say, Pastor, for our wedding, we'd really like you to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> and I smile at them and I say, are you sure? And they look at me like I'm crazy uh, because apparently they've met me. And then I say, well, tell you what, if we're going to do that, that's great. But let's talk about it here first, the three of us, you know, the bride and the groom and me. And as we talk about it, we say, uh, or I say more properly, if love is patient and love is kind and if love isn't envious and it doesn't boast and going on through that passage, then I look at them and I say, so are you not envious? Are you kind? Are you patient? Is your love perfect? Because when we read 1 Corinthians 13 and try to apply it to ourselves, that we have this kind of perfect love, it hits us like a two by four behind the head and it hurts. The only way that 1 Corinthians 13 can be comforting is when we hear that love as being God's love. When we hear that it is Christ who is patient, and it is Christ who is kind, it is Christ who is not envious and who does not boast, and so on. And if we try to apply ourselves to that, it's not going to fit. But if we here, that is the love of Christ that justifies us, and we have our faith in Christ— then we are confessing along with St. Paul what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. When we try to read ourselves into it, not so much. I think that's a fantastic point, and I think we we always do this with the law, where we will take it and turn it into something that we can actually accomplish in some way. So whether it's the couple at the wedding, you know, saying, yeah, this is what our marriage is going to be like. It's going to be wonderful. I'm pretty sure we had that right at my wedding. <laughs> um, or you you... You, you fail to measure yourself against all the Ten Commandments, and you think you're doing pretty well. I, I actually had a conversation uh, with a former co-worker. I don't know if I, I may have brought this up at one point on the show here, but, you know, we're having this conversation, and she's saying, you know, no, I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually um, sinning less, and I'm, and I'm gradually improving. And I said, okay, well, what are you comparing yourself against? Like, so when you look at, like, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus kind of goes through all all these things and you know you you've heard this said but it was actually this is what i actually meant kinds of things and 
how how are you doing? She's like, oh, well, I don't actually measure myself really against anything. I just know I'm doing good. Or we read the Ten Commandments and we say, yeah, I didn't actually kill anybody. But we ignore the Sermon on the Mount where Christ says, yeah, but if you are angry at somebody, you've you've murdered them. <clears throat> you know, we, we always find a way to soften it. And I am sure where we're, well, I think we've encountered this here in the apology already plenty of times where, you know, that Melanchthon has pointed out to the adversaries, you, you didn't actually love, you know, you're not actually loving. You're you're picking this this uh, caricature of love, or you're softening it, or you're not fully living it out. Um, and I think that's a great point. We always do that. Every time, that's what you have to do. But if we want to see what love really is, uh, the... Uh Dr. Melanchthon is going to continue to go on and express exactly what perfect love looks like. And it's not like anything that happens, uh, unfortunately, within my marriage or within my earthly relationships. But he has a great answer for that. Yeah, and actually, I want to just jump back real quick oh, before we go forward sorry. To, uh, <laughs> to in that line 24, it is clear that they only teach the law. And that's what keeps resonating for me here as I hear you guys talk. I, I remember in the Facebook world that there's this meme that floats around about, you know, a, a little girl that has a crush on a boy. Um, and uh, uh, she goes home and tells her mom about it. And her mom walks through 1 Corinthians 13 and says, oh, well, is Johnny uh, patient and kind? And she thinks, oh, well, no, he's not. And so maybe Johnny's not good for me. I, I see that and I think, well, like way to just turn, you know, you're trying to do gospel centered, you know, right discernment and finding a, a good boyfriend for this girl here. Uh, but you're you're just hitting her with law and she's going to be lonely her whole life. <laughs> she's until, never going to find yeah, one. <laughs> until she finds that Jesus is that one that is perfect in 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 what true love is. And, uh, and so then moving forward, then let's, uh, I'll go ahead and read some more here. I'm going to, uh, start with that line that, uh, we ended with faith alone looks upon the promise. It knows that because of the promise, it is absolutely certain that God forgives because Christ has not died in vain. Such faith overcomes the terrors of sin and death. If anyone doubts whether sins are forgiven him, he dishonors Christ, for he judges that his sin is greater or more effective than Christ's death and promise, even though Paul says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This means that mercy is more comprehensive than sin. If anyone thinks that he receives forgiveness of sins because he loves, he dishonors Christ and will discover in God's judgment that this confidence in his own righteousness is wicked and useless." All right, kind of a lot going on there, uh, but I, I, I great gospel I, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're finally getting to the gospel. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, go ahead and jump in on it. Well, uh, that's he's he's pointing us to Christ. I mean, we haven't seen Melanchthon doing that a lot yet. There's been a lot of poking at, you know, here's where the adversaries are wrong. Here's where they're screwing it up, and now we're starting to really get into here's the actual truth. Here's what it actually is. Here's where you should be looking. Here's where your confidence should be. And and you, you gotta, I mean, doing history, this didn't happen, but you gotta think, okay, as they're listening to this, as the adversaries are hearing this read, are they understanding? Are they hearing this gospel? Are they realizing how amazing this is and, and realizing this freedom? Or are they well, history kind of shows us that they were, no, they're totally shut down and closed off and didn't want to hear it. But I mean, I listen to this, it's like, wow, the the, the contrast is huge. Just in, in the paragraphs here going from, all right, here's this love, here's this law, and now here's Christ. How can you not see the difference between those two things and why one is the truth and the other isn't? 
And I think that sometimes we end up wanting to trade uh, the gospel of Christ for something that we can do because as sinful human beings, we are automatically selfish and we want to be in control. I know this is true of myself. Maybe you guys are more holy than I am and don't struggle with that. Just a little bit. Just a little. Okay. Well, whatever works for you, Peter. Um, But... For me, I always want to be in control. And so if I can take the gospel out of Christ's hands and say, I can do it myself like a big boy, and I throw my little four-year-old tantrum. We're also Americans, so we do that because we're Americans, too. It's even worse. <laughs> yeah, so so we're we're Americans and we're sinners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that's not the right thing to say. Allow me currently to apologize to everyone, uh, because I'm sure that could have been phrased much, much better. It's a cultural thing. That's all we're saying. Uh, Okay. Well, I would like to say that uh, as a sinner, I want to take the control away from Jesus so that I can be uh, the master of my own destiny. And it just doesn't work that way. And Melanchthon does a great job of bringing us back to the truth of Christ and saying, you want to be in control with your love? How is that working for you? Oh, wait, it's not. So where do you turn? Who is the solution for your sin problem? Your solution is only found in Jesus Christ. So trust in him, believe in him, and confess your faith in him. Yeah, he, he is definitely, he's, he's relaying the foundation, he's setting the foundation again so that he can show the proper um, role um, that, that we have and, and the, 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 the purpose of this love that, that's been misunderstood up until this point. I, I'll tell you what, the, for the folks that are listening, if, if, this is, if this is too much, just focus on those, that, that beautiful passage from Romans 5 and then the one Melanchthon writes afterwards, this means that mercy is more comprehensive than sin. I know we can't can't have dead air on radio, but but at home, just just stop and revel in that. Um, you understand that, then you're going to be able to understand what the role of of our loving our neighbor really is, and and, and what that's all about. But but just stop and appreciate that mercy is more comprehensive than sin. That is such a wonderful truth. I want to make that into a meme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you, you luckily can do that. It is Ooh, part of your job. Yes, yeah, it's you in can, my job can, description. Uh, yeah, it, it really is quite profound, and it provides that security that we are desperately searching for and unfortunately so often looking in the wrong places for, right? I, I mean, the, the the idea here that, the, the, as we've seen for quite a while now, that the Catholics are really making a virtue out of love, and and it has seemed like that they're really making this um, that that we have to love Jesus and His sacrifice enough to want to to make those same sort sort of sacrifices in ourselves. Otherwise, we really don't have security of our own justification. But Melanchthon here is just hitting them with the beauty and truth of of God and His Word, revealing to us that it's God in His glory who has justified us and that provides us all the security that we need, that it's not incumbent upon my love. But as as Martin Luther says, you know, uh, faith alone justifies, but faith is never alone. I mean, it's always going to be accompanied with a loving response towards my neighbor. The it's effect just over, of the yeah. gospel. Yeah. As, yeah. as Melanchthon says in paragraph 24 of where we started. And I think so. in the... Have we read 29? I don't remember how far we got here, but I think it's <clears throat> it's worth noting if we didn't read this. If you don't mind, I'll just read a sentence here. <laughs> if anyone thinks that he receives forgiveness of sins because he loves, <clears throat> he dishonors Christ 
and will discover in God's judgment that this confidence in his own righteousness is wicked and useless. And that, think of the arrogance that I have to have to think that my own love is as good as or even better than the work of Christ on the cross for me. And, and also realizing I actually do have that arrogance. Like that is in me. Every time, like you were saying, Pastor Ill, that I try and pick up the reins and say, this is about me. I'm going to contribute to this. I'm going to do something. I'm literally saying, you know what, Jesus? I think my works are worth more than yours. That's a horrible thought. <laughs> yeah. Ask not what I must do in love of God. Ask what God and his love has done for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm obviously piggybacking off of the famous JFK. I was going to say, there, is but, this JFK? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. Saying twisting it, it a little yeah. bit. You know, I, I'm, I've been having some fun with that lately in my, in my life. You know, I don't, I don't even know why. JFK but... Walter mashup out of you here soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, Peter, Pastor Ill's face is just, I, it's priceless. Uh, too bad we're not on TV here. That was great. I am so relieved we're not on TV here. Some of us have faces fit for radio. But but there's really two thrusts to this as well, right? Is that I can't outlove Jesus. So why am I so concerned about how much I need to love like Jesus? But but then also that I can't outsin Jesus's love for me. And that provides a whole lot of grace and comfort to me when I'm afflicted by by just the, the sure terrors of God's wrath again, that I have a last day to look forward to, that if I am looking to stand there on any merit of my own that I may have earned or stored up, it's always going to be found wanting. But when I recognize that Christ has perfectly fulfilled all righteousness and that I stand there by his grace alone, well, that's the gospel, right? I mean, this the the Reformation continues, and and it's all centered around that. Any closing comments here in the last minute or so? I, I not really. I, I I envy you guys being able to talk about the next section next week because because the example that follows is wonderful, and and this woman, um, the 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 faith that that. that that includes love is is just a wonderful example of exactly what you're talking about. I'd encourage the hearers not to close their books until they've read that example, and that way they're ready for next week. All right. Well, thank you very much. At the heart of the Lutheran Reformation is the confession that we ourselves can do no good works. This applies to our justification as much as our sanctification, how we live in love towards our neighbor. Uh, thank you very much for our guests joining us today. I'm Pastor Sean Smith, pastor in Illinois, uh, Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Millstadt, Mr. Peter Slayton, social media manager, and Pastor David Weiss of Concordia in Evansville, Indiana. Thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. May the Lord bless your week. Thanks for stopping by and keep on confessing, church. <laughs>